of Mark chapter 11. Mark chapter 11. I want to thank Brother Clayton, Miss Brandy, for taking the kids to camp. It's always a good thing when kids go to Christian camps. One of the most important things I think they can do is to hear the preaching, the Word of God, to get around other teenagers from all over the, all over the country, sometimes all over the world, and realizing they're not the only Christians in the world. Sometimes, I said this the other week, sometimes uh, kids get to thinking, I'm the only one, kind of get the Elijah syndrome. I'm, I'm the only one left. There's no one in my church. There's no one in my Christian school. I'm the only person who's living, who's doing anything for Jesus. no. As God said to Elijah, there's 3,000. There's thousands of teenagers all around the country, all around the world, that by the grace of God are trying to live for Christ. And that's one nice thing about going to a place like the Wild Christian Camp. They get good fellowship, a good, good preaching. Some of them ate some good food, I could tell. They're, good, they got, they're a good Baptist, they like to eat. Uh, but, man, it was a great thing. I'm so thankful for Brother Clayton, Miss Brandy, doing that. And they're going to share a little bit about that, I think, next Sunday, by the grace of God. Mark chapter 11 this morning, Mark chapter 11, let's start in verse 1. They came nigh to Jerusalem, and the Beth, Beth page and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, he sendeth forth two, of his, two of, of his disciples, and saith to them, Go your way into the village over against you, and as soon as you entered into it, you may, ye uh, shall find a colt tied, where, whereon never a, man, never a man sat. Loose him, and bring him. If a man say unto you, why do ye this? Say ye that the Lord hath need of him, and straightway he will send him hither. And when they went their way and found a colt tied by the door, without in a place where two ways met, they loose him. And certain of them that stood there said unto them, What do ye? Loosen the colt. And they said unto them, Even as Jesus had commanded, they let them go. And when they brought the colt to Jesus and cast their garments on him and sat upon him, and many spread their garments in the way, and others cut down branches off the trees and straw and strawed them in the way, and they they and they that went before, they that followed cried, saying, Hosanna, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Blessed be the kingdom of our father David, and that cometh in thy name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest. Gracious Father, we again, we just pause and we thank you for the opportunity to be in your house. We are so thankful to have your word, how precious it is. We thank you for the promises that we find. We thank you for the lessons that can be learned from it. Lord, I pray you'd help us as the word is preached. That Father, you'd help us to look in ourselves. That these moments that we have in your house, Father, would be centered around what you would have us to do in our life. How can we grow? What lessons can be learned? May we go from this place a little bit different from the way, from when we came in. We thank you for all you've done. I pray that you would save the person in this room that's closest to hell. I pray you'd be with the saint that's discouraged. The Holy Spirit of God, you speak to the person who, who is in need this morning, who may be struggling with depression, discouragement, who may be going through some difficulty that no man knows about, only you. Do your work that you always will do through your word, through your spirit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As we enter into this chapter, we're looking at the last week of the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. The last week, of course, he, he, would, be, he would be crucified, he'd be buried, rise again, and after his resurrection, he would spend 40 days upon the earth to teach his disciples. But on this side of the cross, uh, before, before crucifixion, B.C., if you want to say, he had, he had basically one week left. One week, now it's going to take me more than just one, ser one sermon to preach the whole uh, last four or five chapters. 
But basically, we're looking at the last week of his life. Everyone in, in life has moments in their life, really, that determine their life. There's moments in their life that really determine their life. They're, I call them focal points of your life. Uh, for me, of course, and, and for everyone, hopefully that's one day as you're born, you weren't hatched. Amen. You were born. And then hopefully the next, the, uh, next big day is when you're born again. Because uh, we're all born uh, from a woman, no matter, no matter what the scientists or crazy folks think. We're all born of women. Amen. And then, oh, by the grace of God, you're born again. Jesus said to Nicodemus, you must be born again. And if you don't understand what that means to be born again, then I'd love to talk to you a little bit more after service. Because everybody has to be born again. You're born once, you die twice. You're born twice, you die once. I'll say that again. If you're born once, you die twice. If you're born twice, you die once. You die twice. So you need to, you need to realize the importance of knowing Christ as your Savior and being born again from above. That can only happen through relationship through Jesus Christ. It doesn't happen through religion. It doesn't happen by being good. It only happens by trusting in Jesus Christ who said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man come to the Father but by me. So that's the second focal point in life. Hopefully, maybe a third focal point will be your marriage. Like on December 28, 1996, I was married to this wonderful, sweet lady down here in front in purple or pink or fuchsia, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> and then I had two wonderful kids, Alethea Lee and James Micah. Those are focal points. Those are important periods in our life. And you have those. Another one was a call to the ministry at the Wilds Christian Camp. When I was 17 years of age, by under the ministry of the Wilds and Brother Jerry Savinsky, that was another focal point in my life. Going to going to college, being called as a youth pastor at a Gospel Baptist Christian uh, Christian Church and School uh, down in Bonita Springs, that was another focal point. And then, of course, being the pastor of this church is a focal point. You have focal points of your life, moments, times in your life, times where you make decisions that will really determine the rest of your life. That because of those decisions or indecisions will really determine the rest of your life. We're at the focal point of the life of Jesus Christ. Really, this is the most important week in the history of the world. It is the most important week in the history of the world. What Jesus Christ is going to do this week is simply the most important event in the history of the world. Wasn't the Constitution of the United States of America, that was, that was good days. It wasn't, it wasn't the, the, the atom bomb or, or some creation of some uh, cell. Or, no, it was, uh, it was the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is the gospel. Somebody said, what is the gospel? The gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is the most important thing that we preach, we teach, is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Dear friend, church is not a place that we come to feel good and shake hands and say hi and sing kumbaya. <laughs> we don't just come and, and sing amazing grace, as wonderful it is, or, or I can't wait to get to heaven. We sing those songs, but we preach Christ and him crucified. That's what we do. That's why we live, because we know the only hope for society is not to fix the racial issues or not to fix some problem with some sickness. The only hope for society is not in society. The only hope for society is in the Word of God. That's why we preach the Word of God. That's why when we have a service, the Word of God is always open 
and we proclaim what it says. The reason why you hired me, primarily, though I do some other things, counsel, help, encourage, is to take what the Bible says and to deliver it to you, to understand it, to hear what other godly, good and godly men have said, to, to read it myself, and to share with you what God has said through his word. So we come to this focal point in life. There's other focal points we see throughout the scripture. Think of Esther, Queen Esther, Mordecai. Her uncle said in Esther chapter 4 and verse 14, For if thou altogether holdest thy peace at, at this, this time, then shall thou, and thou enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place. But thou and thy father's house shall be destroyed. And who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this? Some of you say, preacher, why am I in the world today? I wish I was born in the 40s or the 50s or the 60s. Or I wish I was born in the future like 2045. No, dear friend, you are born and you live in exactly where God wants you to be. You're here for such a time as this. You have a purpose. God's will for your life is to be successful. You say, how do you find that? Success in life is finding God's will for your life and doing it. Have you found out what God wants you to do? I meet people in their 50s and 60s who still come to me and say, Preacher, I don't know what I'm supposed to do in life. Well, dear friend, you might want to figure that out. If you, if you get to 50 and 60 and you still haven't figured out what you're supposed to do, you might want to look deep into this book and say, Lord Jesus, show me that way. Show me that way. What am I supposed to do with this life you've given me? Think about Paul the Apostle. He's on the road to Damascus. He's seeking out to destroy Christians, to wreak havoc upon the church. His name was Saul at that time, not Paul. There was a bright light from heaven that shined down upon him. He was blind. He could not see. Ultimately, he went to Damascus, blinded, met with a man by Aeneas, received his sight. God called him to the ministry, and God used that man with all type of issues and problems, who had a wonderful history of parentage, to be one of the greatest Christians that ever lived. That road to Damascus experience was a focal point in his life. Think about another man by the name of Winston Churchill. I hope you guys still study him in school. Winston Churchill, he never surrendered to Adolf Hitler and to the, and to the Germans, amen. There'll probably come a time in the history of the United States where they probably won't even teach us in public schools anymore. There was a persecution of the Jews, and a man named Hitler was trying to destroy the world, trying to take over the world. And thank God for men like, like Churchill who stood up and said no to that crazy man. On June the 4th, 1940, Churchill said these words. We shall not flag or fail. We shall not go to the end. We shall fight in France on the seas and the oceans. We will fight with growing confidence and growing strength in the air. We shall defend our island, whatever the cost may be. We shall fight on beaches, landing grounds, and fields and streets and on hills. We shall never surrender. And even if, which I do not for a moment believe this island or a large part of it, were subjugated and starving, then our empire beyond the seas, armed with guarded by the Frittish fleet will carry on the struggle until God's good time. The new world with all its power and might sets forth to the liberation and rescue of the old. He said, we're not going to surrender. We're not going to give up. We're not going to quit. We're going to win. Oh, thank God for men like Winston Churchill. Because of men like that, we don't speak German this morning. Amen. Churchill, 
stood on principle. It was a focal point of his life. This is a focal point in Christ's life, the end of his days, the end of his days. What do we see here? What do we learn in this passage of Scripture? First of all, this morning, we see the continuation of his journey. And we looked at last time, Jesus Christ has gone from Jericho. Now he's on his way to Jerusalem. In Jericho, he met a man by the name of Blind Bartimaeus. Remember him? He was sitting by the road begging. The company came by. He heard about Jesus. Jesus of Nazareth, city of David. He heard about Jesus and called him out the Messiah. And he cast off his cloak, cried out to Christ. They tried to silence him. He would not be silenced. He cried even the louder. And Christ saved his life. Also, we find in the book of Luke, there was a little short guy by the name of Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a wee little man. Was a wee little man. Was he? He climbed up in that sycamore tree to see what he could see. <laughs> you remember that song from Sunday school, amen? And the blind man got saved and the IRS man got saved. What a miracle. Woo, the blind, the deaf, and the dumb got saved that day. Amen? But Jesus was done with Jericho and was heading towards Jerusalem. Jerusalem was about 20 miles from Jericho. He was going with this group of people. He was about 20 miles away. Jericho was 800 feet high, above sea, below, 800 feet below sea level, while Jerusalem was 2,500 feet above sea level. What a climb. That's why it always says you're going up to Jerusalem, no matter what direction you come from, you're going up to Jerusalem. He was going on this road, this Jericho road. Interesting things about this road that I studied about. It was called the red road or the bloody road because it was a dangerous road. It was a treacherous road. You dare not go by, your, by yourself all by your lonesome on the Jericho Road from Jericho to Jerusalem because it was known for a place where robbers and thieves would come and attack and steal and maim and destroy. That's why it's important in life, a spiritual lesson. Don't go it alone. I see so many Christians do a foolish thing. They try to go it alone. Dear friend, that's why we have a church. That's why we have a body of believers, a fellowship of the unashamed to encourage one another, to help one another when times are lonely and the devil whispers in the middle of the night, do this, do that. You cry out to God and you call a person and say, help me. Help me. I was talking to a lady just yesterday on visitation. Angie and I was talking to this lady. She was having a struggle in her life. She wasn't going to church. I said, dear friend, she says, I'm saved. I'm saved. I said, where are you going to church? She said, I'm not going to church. I said, you know what you need? You need a church. You need a church. You need, a people. you need some folks that you can call, can encourage you, can help you in your Christian life. You do it alone. Christianity does not work. See, the church is not a preacher's idea. Church is God's idea. Because God knows we need one another. Amen? He knows we need one another. We need to be encouraged. We need help. Jesus was on this Jericho road to Jerusalem. Think of Jerusalem, the place where Abraham Mount Melchizedek, Jerusalem, the place where King David would sit, Solomon would sit. Jerusalem, the place that was destroyed and be rebuilt by a king ruler, by the heathen ruler, King Artaxerxes. Jerusalem, whose walls had heard the cries of, of godly prophets who did not listen. Jerusalem, the city whose soul was drunk with the blood of the prophets and preachers. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. Jesus would cry out of Jerusalem. How often, how much did he cry for this place that they would turn to God, but they would not. 
this place of Jerusalem, they, can turn, they continued in their journey. But Jesus not only continued in his journey, he gave a command for the colt. It says there in verse 2, chapter 11, verse 2, Go your way into the village over against you, and as soon as you're entered into it, you shall find a colt tied where on never a man sat. Loose him and bring him. He went to Bethpage. Bethpage was the first village he entered on the journey. Interesting, the name of the place is called Bethpage, which is defined as a house of unripe figs. Then he went to Bethany. Memory of you may remember Bethany was a home of a person by the name of Lazarus. Actually, Bethany's name is not Bethany. It's Lazarus now, named after Lazarus. It was a place of Martha and Mary, place of Simon the, le- the leper. It was a place not too far from the Mount of Olives overlooking the city of Jerusalem. He went to Bethany on his way to Jerusalem. These disciples were to get a colt, a colt that was never been ridden by man. Interesting enough, this colt had never been ridden by man. He was unused. He was set apart for a special service. Mary, the Virgin Mary, was set apart for a special service. The tomb was to be a tomb that he would be laid in. was an unused tomb set apart for a special service. God sets us apart for special service in life. That's what it means to be holy. That's what it means to be separated. That's why we're in the world. We're not supposed to be uh, we're supposed to be of the world. We're in it physically. We're not supposed to be of it. You must have, you, you, you must have, you may have had old haunts and hangouts and, and habits, but dear friends, just because you used to have those don't mean you still have them now. You shouldn't hang out with the old friends who are doing the old things because if you hang out with the old friends doing the same things, before long you'll be doing them too. I don't go to bars. I don't go to places of of drink and alcohol. Why, preacher? Don't you know people in there are saved? If I go in there long before long, somebody will need to come save me. Amen? Don't ever think, I'm so spiritual, ain't nothing ever going to touch me. No, dear friend, many a preacher has fallen because he thought he could handle it. No, many a preacher has fallen and selling used cars right now on Sunday because they thought they could handle temptation. No, you just flee youthful lust. Be set apart. Be different. My pastor, Nikki Chavers, said, don't be dumb. Be different. Don't think how close you get to the world. Stay away from the world. There's always that battle up. I think a brother at the Wilds were talking about that, that struggle between the world and the word. Are you going to be loyal to the word of God or are you going to be loyal to the world? That's the battle you choose every day. You have people, companions, maybe even your friends, that are constantly pulling you to try to be like the world, act like the world, talk like the world, walk like the world. No, friend, that's not, that's not what God's will for your life. Your life is to be different. Don't be dumb. Be different. The, the animal was set apart. Mary was set apart. The tomb was set apart. Why did he go? Why did he need this colt in the first place? Interesting enough, because as I studied this, I recognized that kings would come in as a city was conquered on a horse because they were victorious in a battle. Jesus Christ and you and I who know him are coming back in the battle of Armageddon on a white horse. I hope you like horses. Because <laughs> we're going to be on one. But now he's coming in on a donkey. What does that symbolize? Humility. 
He was the prince of peace. He wasn't the conquering king. He was the suffering savior. Savior getting ready to die for our sins. So he comes in on a donkey just like that was prophesied in Zechariah chapter 9 verse 9. It says, greatly rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, the king cometh unto thee. He is just having salvation, lowly riding upon an ass and upon a colt, the foal of an ass. Just as the word of God predicted, he would come in on a donkey. And just like it predicted, he did. The Bible's true. It's always true. We see the continuation of the journey, the command of the cult, but the cause of the command. Look at verse 3. Let's look at verse 3. If any man say unto you, why, why do ye do ye this? Or say, and say that the Lord hath need of him, and straight well he will send him hither. There's always a cause. God has a cause for this animal. The Lord hath need of him. The Lord, dear friend, let me say to you today, the Lord hath need of you. The Lord hath need of you. The Lord had need of Moses. Moses who could not speak, who stammered, who could not feel like he could get in front of a bunch of people, had all the excuses in the world that he made to God after seeing that burning bush. The Lord had need of him. Thank God that God used Moses. God used a little shepherd boy who was out there tending sheep. He said, what can God do with a little shepherd boy who's out there taking care of sheep, who learned a lesson defending that sheep from the lion and from the bear with those stones? He would hear of a cause because a cursing Philistine would curse the name of God. And David would say, is there not a cause? Is there not a cause by the grace of God and with the power of God? David took five smooth stones because he knew he needed to die and also his brothers if he missed. And he slew a giant. Think about, he called a fish to go swallow up a man, a rebellious prophet by the name of Jonah. He called him. He called the fish, and the fish swallowed up Jonah. God called a little lad to provide a little food for Christ and, his, and many disciples. 5,000, 3,000, one time, 5,000, another time. God used the little to provide much. Little is much when God is in it. You may see, preacher, what can God do with me? I can't do a little bit. I can't say a little bit. I can sing a little bit. He can take your little bit and do a whole lot. If you let him, he can do a little bit and do a whole lot. You say, preacher, I don't have ability. All you need is availability. He will take your ability and he will work through it for his glory not yours. If you'll just simply surrender it to it. You say, well, I can sing a little bit. Sing. I can talk a little bit. Talk. We, I, hey, all you have to do when you come to Gator Track is say, here's a schedule. 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 If you can say that, people will grab it. And who knows, they may read it. Some college student who's from Michigan who knows it's cold up there is lonely, going through their first semester at the University of Florida, looks down one night after they see this track, maybe discarded, and reads it and gets saved. All because you said, here's a schedule. You didn't preach the gospel. You didn't share your testimony. All you did is show up. When the preacher showed up, told you to show up, you got in the, in the truck with Brother Travis, who showed up at the game, and you said, Here's a schedule. You say, preacher, I can't. No, 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 friend. 
it ain't that you can, it's you won't. See, if you will, God can do anything through you. You got to be willing. Are you willing? See, I promise you, dear friend, one of these days when you stand before Jesus Christ and he reviews your life of what you've done for yourself and what you did for him, you'll be glad that when the preacher said, go to visitation, you showed up. When we announced 515 for choir practice, you'll be glad you showed up. You'll be glad when we announce time to go pass out tracts, you'll be glad you showed up. Because one of these days you will make by the grace of good get a crown for your faithfulness to God. And then when it's crowned, casting time at the feet of Jesus, you'll have something to give him. The Lord hath need of you. I'm begging you. I'm pleading with you. I'm trying to help you help you today. Because, dear friend, you'll be so glad when the crown casting day has come. That you listen to those words, the Lord hath need of him. There's a cause for the command. And there's a correctness of the command. Look at verse 4. They went their way and found the colt tied to the door without in the place where the two ways met. They loosed him, and certain of them stood there and said to them, What do you, loosing the colt? <laughs> what do you, loosing the colt? And they said unto him, Even as the Lord Jesus had commanded, they let him go. Let them go. See, whenever you start doing something for Jesus and you realize the Lord hath need of you, there's always going to be some people questioning you. What are you doing? I mean, you're going to church three times a week. Well, I mean, you're going to give some of your money to God. Well, you're going on a on a on a Saturday night at five o'clock in the heat of Florida. You're going to be out there passing tracks. Well, you know nobody's going to listen to you. What you doing out there? You're acting. That's a crazy. That's crazy. No, dear friend, don't listen to what people say. Listen to what God says. You see, friend, if I listen to what people say and what my friend said, I would never be standing behind this pulpit today. My family said, uh, plumber, uh, uh, engineer, um, um, football player, no, uh, preacher, never. That's the last on the list, preacher. But dear friend, my goal in life is not to please, not to please people. My goal in life is to please Jesus. If you, sit, if you live your life to please anybody else primarily than Jesus Christ, your life will be a waste. Your life will be a waste. Who are you trying to please? There's always people who are saying, no, don't, don't, don't do it. Don't, it's not, no, you, you can do something else. There's going to always be people discouraging you from doing the will of God. Craziest thing happened to me yesterday, Angie and I. It never happened to me before. Going up to this house. Same time I'm going up to this house, I see this man come up the same house we we go to the door at the same time it's a man who's a mayor a, a candidate to be a mayor of the city of Gainesville he tells me who he is I recognize who he is I, he said what are we gonna do I said well I'm gonna give a track you say what you want to say we both gonna do something here I gave the man a gospel track he had the way of salvation in his hand all he had to do was look down, read it, and believe it. Wouldn't that be something if we had a saved mayor of Gainesville, Florida? Whoa, this place might actually change. <laughs> he gave it back to me. He gave it back to me. I hope the man gets saved. But if he stands before God someday at the judgment seat, at the white throne judgment, because that's where every person is going to go, 
if they reject Jesus Christ. He'll never be able to say the gospel wasn't presented to him. The gospel was in his very hands, and he let it go. Let as much when God is in it. There's a lot of people said, don't do it, don't do this, don't do that. The Lord has needs of you. He, needs, has, he has need of your time. He has need of your talent. He has need of your treasure. Why? For your glory? No, for God's good. For God's glory and your good. We see the continuation of the journey, the command for the cult, the cause for the command, the correctness of Christ in the covering, verse 7 and 8. And they brought their cult to Jesus and cast their garments on him and sat upon them. The many spread their garments in the way and cut, others cut down branches off trees and straw them in the way. By covering the road with their claws, they acknowledged that Christ was more important than their possessions. They willingly gave. What do you give of yourself to God? What do you give of yourself? By covering the road with their clothes, they, they were honoring him with their behavior that was fit only for a wonderful king. They were honoring him. They were respecting him. You honor the Lord Jesus Christ by your presence this morning. But dear friend, it's more than just your presence on a Sunday morning in North Gainesville Baptist Church. It's how you act tomorrow morning when you go into work. It's how you live in your private life at your home when nobody's watching you. It's what you give of yourself. It's what you give of yourself, your time, your talents, your treasure, your actions, your attitude. Do you have the same attitude as these folks? Is there any possession in your life more important than Jesus Christ? Is there anything, any habit, any hobby, any work, any relationship, any person, any idol? We think of idols in the United States of America. We think about totem poles that people used to bow down and worship. But dear friends, a lot of things can be idle. It's whatever you spend time with the most. What do you worship? You see, if Jesus Christ is not Lord of all, he's really not Lord at all. Is Jesus Christ the Lord of your life? A lot of people say, Jesus is my Savior. But have you made him the Lord of your life? Have you chosen him not just first, because that's the position. Have you chosen him all? Is he most important in your life? Oh, this crowd at this, at this moment would sing hallelujah. They would sing his praise, this same crowd. But a about a week later, this same crowd, this fickle crowd who would say hallelujah would before long say crucify him. Crucify him. Oh, dear friends, in these last days, we need faithful Christians who don't just sing amazing grace on, sun on Sunday and highway to hell on Monday. We need you singing Amazing Grace all week long. It's not just the lips that's singing on Sunday. It's the life that's lived on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. It's the life. What type of life are you presenting to Christ every day of your life? What type of life? See, this is not my life. The Bible says, I've been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. It's all his. The price is the blood of Jesus Christ, the most priceless uh, uh, resource in the history of the world. The blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses me from all sin. And because I've been bought with his price, I need to live up to the price. We see the continuation, the command, the cause, the correctness, the covering, the cold, the, the cheers of the cry. They cried out, as we read in Psalm chapter 118, 26, Blessed be the he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Interesting as I studied this, 
Most scholars believe this was 30 A.D. by best chronology, the first month of the Jewish year, Nisan. And arrival was on the 10th of the month. Month. The crucifixion would be on the 14th. God was establishing a firm timetable. It was a Passover week. The Friday would be the, the day when tens of thousands of Passover lambs would be slain. Some estimate possibly up to 2 million people being in Jerusalem. 2 million people. Hard to believe. They calculate that by the number of lambs that were slain. Interesting enough, the Bible says in Joshua chapter 4, verse 19, the people came out of the Jordan on the 10th day of the month and camped in Gilgal in the east border of Jericho. So it was the 10th day of Nisan, March, April in our calendar. There'd be four days of inspection of the lamb. Four days they would look at that lamb, that Passover lamb, which had to be perfect. They would look at it. They would inspect it. They would make sure it was just right for that land would pay for the sins of the people for that time, for their Passover. As we remember the Passover in the days of Egypt. Jesus Christ was a spotless lamb. He was a perfect lamb. He was born of the Virgin Mary, lived a perfect life. His blood would be shed. It was prophesied before the foundation of the world so you and I could have everlasting life. They came, he came into his own, but his own received him not. He came into the Jews so they would receive him. And the same crowd, as I mentioned to you, who said, Hosanna, would praise him. And if they didn't praise him, Jesus said, the rocks would cry out. The rocks would cry out. The same crowd, when he was put up by Pilate, because the Jews could not crucify him. They could not put a person to death. But the Romans could, the Gentiles could. When they presented him, to the Romans, and the Romans, Pontius Pilate said, what shall we do? They would cry out, crucify him. And they said, "This, our blood be upon us, and it has been. Our blood be, his blood be upon us. It was a crucial moment. It was a focal moment in the history of the Jewish people, and they rejected him. But they were one of these days, friends, the Bible teaches, I believe, the midpoint of the tribulation, when they recognize that this person who they think is the Christ is not the Christ, he's the Antichrist. They will recognize what they had done to Jesus Christ, the Son of God, that they killed the lovely Lamb of God, and they will cry out in pain and anguish, and they will admit for the first time in the history of the world, we were wrong. We killed Jesus. We killed the Messiah. How sad it will be. How many tears will be shed. How many lives will be destroyed. How many Jews are in hell today because they rejected Jesus who came and offered himself to them. It was a focal point in their history. Dear friend, can I ask you a question? Where are you today in your life? Maybe God is speaking to you about doing something for him. Maybe there's never been a time in your life where you've been saved. There's never a time where you recognize the fact that you're a sinner, that Jesus Christ is the only Savior. Maybe you've heard the gospel like I heard the gospel as a young person over and over and over and over again as a young person. How God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. I heard the message of the gospel, but I didn't choose to believe in him who died for me. Until one day, April the 15th, 1989, when a preacher told me not about heaven, he told me about hell. And that same Jesus, that same Jesus who died on the cross and shed his blood, 
would one day at the white throne judgment send cast me into a lake of fire forever and ever and ever. Why? Why? Because I did not choose to accept Jesus Christ. Has there been a time in your life where you chose to accept Jesus Christ? Christian, are you living for Christ? Is your life being filled on, are you, is your life being filled on wood, hay, and stubble, on things that do not matter? Or is your life being built on silver and gold and precious stones, things that matter when you stand before Jesus at our judgment, the, the judgment seat of Christ, which is going to happen during the tribulation, when he looks at your life, he's going he's to judge with those, with those loving yet fiery eyes and, and look at the intents of our heart where our lives be burnt up because all we've done is built our kingdom, our things, our lives, and we'll be saved, yet so is by fire. What are you building your life upon? I read this illustration. Graffiti from the 1800s was discovered by workers renovating the Washington Monument. The graffiti said, Whoever is the human instrument under God in the conversion of one soul erects a monument to his own memory more lofty and enduring than this. You say, preacher, what can I do? You want a schedule? One person gets saved. What are you saying? You want a schedule? It's more lasting and enduring than all the monuments of all the cities, of all the countries, of all the world. All those things will be gone. One day the monument of Washington will be gone. Jefferson, Lincoln, every city, every monument will be burned up in fervent heat. Global warming is coming. God said it. And it wasn't Al Gore either. It was Jesus Christ. Everything's going to be destroyed. But that soul that lives forever will be in heaven forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. Just because you on one Saturday night Though you were tired and hot and sweaty and had a million things to do at home, could say, want a schedule? Want a schedule? Oh, preacher, I'm too. Oh, preacher, I can't. Oh, preacher, I... Want a schedule? Realize that you're a sinner. Realize there's a penalty for your sin. Realize Jesus paid your penalty. Repent of your sin and receive Jesus as your Savior. They could be in heaven forever. Because you said, want to schedule? How about you, friend? You say, preacher, well, I, I, I'm not going to do that. Well, what are you doing to get the gospel to somebody? Because one person hearing the gospel and receiving it is more important than anything else temporarily in this life. What does it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? What's the most important thing in your life? It should be glorifying God, whether we eat, drink, or whatsoever we do. We do all to the glory of God. And what's the greatest way you can glorify God? By telling people about him and what he's done for them. The reason why he went to Jerusalem on that most holy week was to die for the sins of all mankind. Do you know Jesus? And by the grace of God, are you living for Jesus? Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Jesus Christ will last. Father, we thank you, God, for your goodness. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. 
We thank you, God, that you'll be even willing to use us. <laughs> that you even be willing to use this feeble clay pot. <laughs> oh, Lord, we thank you, God, that you're willing to redeem us, to save us. And even more than that, you're willing to use us. I pray with head bowed, eyes closed. Maybe someone in this room say, Preacher, I'm not sure if I'm saved. I've heard the gospel. I've heard it preached. I've heard it sung. But be honest with you, I'm not sure. If I was to die today, God forbid, if I was to get back on that road and die today, I'm not sure I'd go to heaven. I know about it. Maybe you know about it, but you really don't know Jesus. A lot of people are going to be in hell because they know about Jesus. They don't know Jesus. They heard the gospel. They never received the gospel. They heard the truth. They never received the truth. Are you ready to receive him today? It's time. You may not have tomorrow. All I can promise you is today. Today is accepted time. Today is the day of salvation. I said, preacher, I don't know if I was to die or go to heaven. I'm not 100% sure. I'm not 100% sure if I died today I'd go to heaven. But I want to. Would you pray for me? Anybody like that today? Would raise your hand. I won't point you out. But I'd love to pray for you. I am not sure if I died today I'd go to heaven. But I want to be sure. I'm just not sure. I got my doubts. I got my reservations. If I'm totally honest, I'm not sure if I die I'd go to heaven. Anybody like that today? Anybody at all? Preacher, if I stand before the judgment seat of Christ, and I will one day, I've been, I, if I was honest, right up to this point, primarily I've been living my life for me. I've been doing my thing, going my way, living my life. I know it's wrong. The temptation's so strong to go my way, do my thing. The voices that people say, the, the pull, the connections, oh, it's so easy. I need to live for Jesus. I've been living for myself, going my own way. Would you pray for me by the grace of God? I'll have the courage to do right, to listen to the Spirit of God, to do, to obey, to be available, to maybe on that Saturday Saturday night say, do you want to schedule or come to choir or visitation or usher or whatever God's called you to do? Would you be willing to say, Lord, I'm available, I'm available, I'm available. Preacher, I've been living for myself. I I need this morning. I need to live for Christ. Would you pray for me? Anybody at all? This morning, I'm praying, I'm struggling.